0: Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Monday. This is Seattle Now. Jurors will learn this week if three Tacoma police officers accused of murder and manslaughter will take the stand in their defense. They're accused of killing 33-year-old Manny Ellis in 2020. After two months, the proceedings are nearing an end. In a minute, we'll talk to reporter Jared Brown about what jurors will need to consider. But first, let's get you caught up. Alaska Airlines said it's entered a deal to acquire Hawaiian Airlines for $1.9 billion in cash. If approved, the sale would expand the reach of the fleet to 138 destinations through a combined network and more than 1,200 destinations through the One World Alliance. In a message to members Sunday, the union that represents cabin crew at both carriers said it would review the terms of the merger. Speaking of air travel and Alaska Airlines, the National Transportation Safety Board will hold a panel in the other Washington this week to talk about pilot mental health. It's been just over a month since an off-duty Alaska Airlines pilot allegedly tried to shut down a plane's engines mid-flight. He's charged with attempted murder. His attorneys have said he was suffering from untreated depression. This week's meeting will focus on reforming the FAA's processes to make getting mental health care easier for pilots. And there's a public meeting Wednesday to talk about the city's plan to build a children's playground at Denny Blaine Park. The project is getting a boost from more than half a million dollars in private money. Parks and Recreation says it's meant to address the lack of playgrounds in the area, but some are questioning the location choice. Denny Blaine Park has been a queer, nude beach for decades. If you have thoughts or need more information, Seattle Parks and Recreation will be posted up at the Martin Luther King Fame Community Center at 5.30 on Wednesday. But don't be late. The announcement says they'll only be there for an hour. The trial of three Tacoma police officers continues in a Pierce County courtroom this week. The men are charged with manslaughter and murder in the death of Manny Ellis, who encountered them while walking home from a convenience store in March 2020. After weeks of testimony, the trial is close to wrapping up. The key question that has emerged for the jury, whether they trust the police account of what happened the night Manny died or the account of witnesses who contradict the officers. KNKX reporter Jared Brown has been sitting in the courtroom and covering all the proceedings. He's here to update us on the ins and outs of the case. Jared, glad you're back. Thanks so much for your coverage.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Patricia.
0: Let's talk about the particulars of the trial. Clearly, Manny Ellis died while in police custody. The question is more about whether the officers on trial are at fault for his death. What is the prosecution's argument at this point?
1: So the prosecution's argument is that the first two officers on the scene, Matthew Collins and Christopher Burbank, um, they were in their patrol car. Manny Ellis was walking down the street beside them, according to the eyewitnesses. They say Manny Ellis was in the middle of the intersection harassing a car. The prosecution's argument is that the officers lied about that, that Manny Ellis was minding his own business, and mm. everything that follows from that. The prosecution says is you know unlawful imprisonment, um, these uses of force, you know a lateral vascular neck restraint, which is now banned, and the use of a taser. The prosecution is arguing that that amounts to assault. The defense is that these officers were doing their job. They were tasked with restraining somebody who was completely out of control. You know, they kept using this argument that that he had no quit in him, that he continued to thrash around and him dying in police restraints was a a product of his own resistance. And really what led to his death was a, a meth overdose and the stress on his heart, which was enlarged.
0: He had no quit in him. What an interesting phrase, Jared. Talk about that. Is Are they trying to say that he wouldn't stop?
1: Yeah, and the defense argument here is that they're looking back at two of Manny's past arrests, these other interactions with law enforcement where it appears Manny Ellis is high on methamphetamine, he struggles, and the officers have difficulty getting him into handcuffs, and he's resisting restraint. So they're connecting the dots between this 2015 arrest, this 2019 arrest where Manny later said he was in a meth psychosis, this argument that those two arrests give enough information that it makes sense that Manny may have acted that way on March 3rd, 2020. They're, you know, kind of trying to piece together What happened that night? Because the beginning of how this started is is the big question is because really all we have is the officer statements and, you know, a short snippet of video um, from a doorbell camera across the street as far as what happens before these civilian witnesses start taking video of the encounter.
0: Cause of death is also central to this case, Jared. Has the uncertainty around the way Manny Ellis died been clarified during this trial?
1: So the state brought on a lot of experts. They brought in probably the leading expert in in custody police deaths, Dr. Roger Mitchell. He's a former DC medical examiner. He teaches at Howard now. And he says unequivocally, the police restraint and the fight is what killed Manny. They also brought on a pulmonologist, so a lung expert and a cardiologist, a heart expert. They said this is clearly not originating in the heart. This is originating in the lungs and the ability to pass oxygen throughout the body. And they also brought in Dr. Thomas Clark, the former Pierce County medical examiner who initially ruled this a homicide by uh, a lack of oxygen from the police restraints. So there's a lot of evidence from the state put forward that this was from the police restraints the defense proffered a emergency room doctor. She works at Madigan, so she's a local doctor, um, hoping that resonates a little bit more with the jury. And she says that this was a meth overdose, that, you know, Manny Ellis would have died whether or not he would have interacted with police.
0: You know, so much of this comes down to how this struggle between Manny Ellis and the police starts. What is the jury wrestling with here? What are the two options the jury has?
1: So the original narrative that we heard from the Tacoma Police Department is that these officers came upon this intersection, 96 and Ainsworth, on the south end of Tacoma. It's not the best area. It's been referred to as a high crime area a lot throughout the trial. And that they stop at this intersection. They're coming off of another call. And they see a man who is later identified as Manny Ellis harassing a car, maybe working the door handle, trying to get inside. They call him over to their car. They say he kind of turns and he's acting strange. He's very sweaty. He comes up and says, I'm having a bad day. I have warrants. And Officer Collins, the driver, says, Go over to the curb. We'll talk to you. On his way to the curb, he zeroes in on the passenger officer, Officer Burbank and says, well, what if I punch you in the face and starts hitting the police car? And that's what leads to the struggle. Officer Burbank, he says in his interview that he did door check Manny Ellis. So that's something that lines up between the civilians and the officers that this all starts, the physical aspect starts with the door check that knocks Manny Ellis to the ground. The civilians, on the other hand, you have Sarah McDowell, who's directly behind the police officers. You have her former boyfriend, who's behind her at this stoplight, and then you have a pizza delivery driver who's on the other side of the intersection. They say, as far as they can tell, Manny Ellis is is walking down the street. They say he approaches the, the patrol car, and it looks like there's a casual interaction, and then they see the door fling open, and Manny Ellis hits the ground, and they say that's how this all got started. Has anything in this trial surprised
0: you or not gone the way you've expected it to, Jared?
1: I think the biggest surprise is that we didn't learn much new information. We haven't really clarified what led up to this struggle and what happened in those minutes where we don't have video. The state and the defense are just so far apart that it's really hard to to reconcile those stories. And I think what will be interesting is for the jury to kind of to find that middle ground of what's the most reasonable thing that happened that night.
0: They're going to be hearing from the officers soon who are charged in this case. They're going to be speaking in their own defense. What might we learn from their testimony?
1: The defense, at this point, they've added some question marks around whether these officers are going to get up and testify. They have not wanted to tell the attorney general's office whether they're going to call additional witnesses. Um, there's questions about whether uh, another toxicologist could be called um, to testify about the meth and Manny system. And the officers themselves, they've been pretty vague about what to expect next. And that's been a a frustration for the attorney general's office as well, trying to plan out what the rest of this case is going to look like.
0: So it's possible these officers will not testify.
1: Absolutely. And that can't be held against them by the jury. That was a big question through jury selection is, if these officers don't get up and testify in their defense, will you hold it against them? Because you're not allowed to in a criminal trial. That's
0: going to be interesting for the jury because so much of this case comes down to how much they believe the police account.
1: Absolutely. And even the the experts who have testified at trial, they're not allowed to make this credibility determination. They kind of give these two paths. If you believe the officers, then this. If you believe the civilians, then this. And that's the difficulty for the jury in this case, for sure.
0: This conversation about how much you believe the police is something that a lot of people have been grappling with over the past few years, you know, including media institutions who are rethinking how they share and fact check their information. Do you think this shows up for the jury as they evaluate this evidence?
1: Absolutely. I mean, traditionally, police officers always get the benefit of the doubt. And as defendants in this trial, even more so, they get the presumption of innocence. So this is a huge question. Normally, police officers are coming in to testify on behalf of prosecutors against a civilian, not in the chair of the defendants. So that's been a big question throughout the trial is the credibility of these officers kind of looming over because none of the witnesses who are testifying can can say that for the jury. It's really for them. It's all about weighing all of the testimony and nobody can give them a real roadmap of who to believe and who not to believe.
0: All right. Well, we're nearing the end of this trial, but there is more to come. Let's talk about what happens next and when we may get a verdict.
1: So right now, the defense still has more witnesses to go. They haven't given us a clear path of what to expect next, whether they're going to put on more expert witnesses to talk about the meth and Manny system. And it's also a question of whether the officers are going to testify. They said early on in their opening statements that at least Officer Rankin and Officer Collins were going to testify in their defense. It was also suggested that Officer Burbank would. That's not a given right now, so we're not exactly sure what to expect. After the defense rests their case, the state could put on a rebuttal case. The judge, Brian Trishkoff, didn't allow them to call some of the trainers at the state police academy initially unless it became more of a controversy of what these officers were exactly trained on when it comes to prone restraint. When you have somebody face down on the ground, typically with officers holding them down and whether that's dangerous, you have a state expert who says that was wholly inappropriate. As soon as he's handcuffed, you need to get him on his side. You have a Renton police training sergeant who's a former King County deputy prosecutor who comes in and says, that's not the case. What they were doing was reasonable. They had somebody who's thrashing around. There's also concerns about protecting him from not getting injured from thrashing. And what they did was based on the information they had at the time.
0: Well, there is certainly a lot for the jury to get their head around. And I know you and the team at k are continuing to report on this from the courtroom every single day until the verdict arrives. And we will drop a link to your coverage in our show notes. Reporter Jared Brown, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. Today's episode was produced by Claire McGreen. Our production team also includes Caroline Chamberlain-Gomez, Vaughn Jones, and Jenny Cecil Moore. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you tomorrow.